0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome home. And that's kind of the focus of this morning. That's the focus of what we're doing. It's just wanting to welcome everybody back. And um, we have this vision statement as a church. And, and our vision state is simply is frontline is not done until there are zero lives living unchanged for Jesus in our community. And so we've been rallying around that idea. We've been talking about our faith this uh, month. And we've been talking about what it means to have zero faith That sounds kind of like a play on words, but basically we've been saying, what's the faith that it requires to actually see zero happen in our world and in our community? And so we've been walking through the life of Elijah in the Old Testament, the great prophet Elijah, and talking about the different faith moves that Elijah had to make and how those kind of connect to our lives and and our church. And um, we've been talking about what is a faith step? What does that look like in our lives? And what does it mean to actually take a faith step? And so I wanna continue that journey and continue talking about that today. And so I wanna introduce you to someone. Um, this is my youngest son, John. and. Uh John is 10 years old, and um, that was him actually earlier this summer. John loves outdoors. He loves camping. He loves fishing. He loves anything where he can get his hands dirty, pretty much. And so um, this past summer, Father's Day weekend, actually, John and I decided to go away for like kind of a father-son camping trip together. So we went to Wabasis Lake Campground. Anybody ever been there to camp? You just kind of reserve. Yeah, perfect. So we, we were just going to tent camp. So we reserve this uh, campsite. We get there, Father's Day weekend. It's like Friday afternoon, and we're having a great time. Within a couple of hours, we'd explored all around the area. We had um, unpacked all our supplies. We'd set up our tent. We gathered some firewood, and, and we were kind of getting ready to cook our dinner, and the whole time we've been there doing this, for the last couple hours, we've been kind of trying to ignore the group of rowdy 20-somethings that is occupying the two campsites directly across from us. Okay, so I couldn't help but notice, even though I was trying not to draw attention to it, that they were drinking heavily, heavily, I mean, the kind of drinking where at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you're like, man, this is just not headed in a good direction. (laughs) This is not going to end well at all. And I mean, just copious amounts of alcohol. And so John and I were sitting there, and so right about the time where we uh, we had made our fire and we were starting to make dinner, um, one of this group, it was a woman in a bikini who was clearly intoxicated. She's staggering around. She starts screaming belligerently. At this other guy who's there, part of their group, and she's accusing him of stealing her purse. You stole my purse, you blank. And she's, you know, saying all these expletives. He starts denying, I didn't take your purse. And so they're just yelling at each other, cursing and swearing. And so John, uh, I just, he's, he just kind of turns and begins to look and just observe what's happening. And so I'm trying to just keep cooking, you know, the hot dogs and just talking to him, you know, not, try not to draw too much attention to it. Um, But this keeps going on. Finally, this woman announces to the entire campground with how loud she was. She announces, I just called the cops and they're on their way right now. And when she announced that, it was like um, cockroaches when you turn the light on. You know, it was (laughs) all of these guys, all of these people just disappear. One of the guys literally runs right through our campsite, right right next to John and I. It's like, (laughs) just takes off. And so now it's just this woman and this one other guy at the campsite. And sure enough, a few minutes later, the police arrive and they show up in their SUV and they get out. And so John literally takes his chair and he turns it around (laughs) to watch what is happening now. And so the police get out and they start talking to this woman and she's yelling something about some guy stealing a purse. And so they go and they get a breathalyzer test and they give her a breathalyzer which actually I had never seen done before. Neither had John, and he got to see this as well. <laughs> and so I guess they conclude that she was very intoxicated and almost naked, I would add. And so they, they put her on the hood of their car, they cuff her, and they, they put her in the back seat of their SUV, and she's just yelling and screaming and crying. I mean, it's just quite a scene. And so eventually, at, at some point, finally I just leaned over to John, who was just sitting there eating this hot dog with his chair turned <laughs> Like, this is great. I lean over and I just said, John, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this is what you're seeing. I'm I'm sorry that this is what you're experiencing. You know, on our camp, you know, our camping trip that we were going to go on together. And John looks at me with this confused look on his face and he goes, why, dad? I'm learning a lot. This is great. (laughs) He was loving it. And so I got to, I got to kind of reflecting on that uh, experience and I began to wonder, What was it inside of me that made me feel in that moment like I needed to apologize to him? What what was it? What was happening there in that moment that made me feel like I owe my son an apology for what he's seen and experienced? I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't intoxicated and wearing a bikini. That wasn't me. (laughs) Why did I feel like I needed to apologize to him for what he was seeing and experiencing? Here's, Here's what I think. I think it's because as parents, and everybody who is a parent in this room knows, we feel like we've been entrusted with our children's innocence, and we guard it fiercely. We want them to be safe. We want them to be protected, untouched, and I I would add, burden-free. We want them to be completely burden-free in life, and and we labor to that end as parents. And so in that moment, as a parent, I, I just felt like, man, John, I'm just so sorry that I wasn't able to provide that for you. And because we feel that as parents, because that's sort of hardwired into our society, it's what makes the story that we're going to look at here this morning so weird. This is just a weird story. I'm just warning you ahead of time. Well, all the stories we've been looking at are weird, but this story is, is just, even as I, I came to it this week, studying it, it was just weird, So where we are is is we're looking at the life of Elijah, and and if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know there have been some extreme highs and some extreme lows. So the story of Elijah begins in the midst of a drought, a God-created drought, and the people of Israel have been led by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel into Baal worship, this false god, this deity, and so the story of Elijah begins where Elijah by himself confronts The 450 prophets of Baal in the land of Israel, and they have this contest, and God answers, and and he responds by fire on the sacrifice, and there's this moment where all the people's hearts turn back to God. Because of this faith step that Elijah took, God moves in a powerful way, and all these people, the people of Israel, they all turn their hearts back to God. It's a really high moment. And then last week, we looked at this extreme low moment that happened in, in Elijah's life, maybe the lowest moment of his life where the king and queen swear revenge on him. And so we find him on uh, Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments happened. And he's just in despair. In fact, he's suicidal. He's saying, God, would you just take my life? I don't even want to live. And, he, and he's literally in despair. And so we talked about what it means to have faith that perseveres. What does it mean to have faith that, that, that stays faithful and continues to seek God, even in the midst of the times in our lives where we find ourselves on the mountain. So we talked about that. So uh, if you remember last week, the story ended where God gives Elijah some next steps. And one of the things God tells Elijah is he says, I want you to go find Elisha, son of Shaphat, and I want you to anoint him as your successor. I want you to bring him under your wing. I want you to mentor him. He is going to be your successor. He's going to be the next prophet of Israel so that was the instruction. So this is how that interaction went. We're going to pick up the story here today. 1 Kings 19, verse 19, it says this. So Elijah went, he's down off Mount Sinai now. Elijah went and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now remember those details. The writer is telling us that on purpose. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak around his shoulders, across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So we're just going to stop there and just recognize this is a weird story. I mean, literally, if you, if you came to the Bible and this is the very first story you ever read in the Bible, you would be like, what? It would make no sense at all. So what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of background of what's happening here in this moment. So what, we, what we're told about Elisha is he is the son of Shaphat. He is plowing with 12 teams of oxen on his family land. All of those details tell us one thing. Elisha comes from a very wealthy family. He has life set up for him. Uh, To have one team of oxen in your own land would have made you a wealthy person at this time. There are 12 teams of oxen. And the number 12 is very significant in this story as well. How many uh, tribes of Israel were there? There were 12 tribes of Israel. So what the writer is trying to clue us into here is Elisha basically has the perfect Israelite life. He's He's the model Israelite. Everything has gone his way. His family has done well. And he comes from a family that does well, and he's out there plowing the family land with the 12th oxen, like a good Israelite. He's got the perfect, uh, you know, well-to-do Israelite life. And so he is the heir apparent. He's gonna take up where his parents left off. He's gonna continue in his father's footsteps. They're well-respected in the area. This is like the family business. Life is pretty much planned out for Elisha, and it's good. And so Elijah walks up to Elisha on his family's land, And he does this weird thing. He throws his cloak around Elisha's shoulders, which is just weird, right? And instantaneously, Elisha somehow knows what this means. Even without any words being spoken, he knows exactly what's happening in this moment. And here's the reason why Elisha knows that. Prophets at this time were very well known for wearing a garment. It's it's referred to as a cloak, but uh, it was actually what it was referred to as a mantle. Uh, A prophet's cloak would be have been recognizable you would have known a prophet because they would have worn a mantle it was this large cloak the the mantle of a prophet represented the burden that they carried as being a prophet for god's people it was a burden for god's people it was a burden for what god had called them to do and what god had called them to say uh, to the people to the nation of israel and so prophets wore these these cloaks these mantles And so, Elijah does this weird thing. He just walks up to Elisha, and without saying anything, he just throws his mantle around Elisha's shoulders. Now, in the ancient world, this would have been a symbolic act. It would have been recognized immediately. It's why Elisha knows what's going on, is because this would have been an act that denoted, you are now being called to the office of prophet. Elisha understood in this moment that this was God speaking through Elijah, saying, I'm going to take this burden, this mantle that I carry for God's people. I'm going to put that burden on you. I'm going to put that burden around your shoulders. And you're called to the office of prophet just like me. And in that moment, instantaneously, without a word being spoken, Elisha understands exactly what's happening in this moment. And so what he does is he runs after Elijah and says to him, "Wait, wait a minute, just let me go back home and kiss my father and mother goodbye. He understood this is literally like I'm, I'm being called to literally pack my bags right now. Not even really pack my bags. I'm, I'm being called to leave, to follow this hippie prophet wherever he's going to go next. And so, of course, you would run back to your father and mother and kiss them goodbye and explain to them what's happening. So if you can get this picture in your head, Elisha runs back to his mom and dad. Imagine he's got this mantle around him. He's got this cloak. And he runs back to his mom and dad to tell them, uh, Mom and dad, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm going to go be a prophet. And we all know how this story is supposed to go next. If we read it with our eyes, if we read it with our content, our... our uh, vision of what it means to be a parent. We know exactly how this story is supposed to go next. Elisha runs in with the mantle around his shoulders. His parents look at him. He says, mom and dad, and he tells them the story, and immediately his parents go, look, of course you cannot leave and go follow some hip, hippie backpacking across Israel. Of course you cannot do that. You're li- look at all the things we provided for you. He clearly comes from a great family. You're not going to go be a prophet. You're not going to go run across Israel. Of course, you're not going to do that. But what's interesting about this story is they don't do that, at least not that we're told. The most amazing part of this story to me is not what happens. It's what doesn't happen. Elisha's parents are okay with this. They say nothing. When you study kinship values in a collectivistic society like ancient Israel was at this time, you have to understand, they could have stopped him. Societally, that was completely within their power. Parents could absolutely say to their child, you have already made a commitment here to our family, to the family land, and to what uh, God has granted us. It was even you know, inscribed by religion at the time. You have to stay here. They could have absolutely put a halt on this and said, you can't go with Elijah. So when Elijah throws the mantle around Elisha and he says, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, that's why Elisha says, or Elijah says to him, okay, go ahead, but think about what I've done. Think about what I've done for you here. It's because he understands the parents could have stopped this in this moment, but they don't. Why? What, what kind of parents would not stop their child from running off with some crazy wild-eyed prophet into the wilderness of Israel? I think it's because his parents were good parents. They understood something. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Elisha had a job, but he didn't have a purpose. Elisha had wealth, but he didn't have a purpose. Elisha even had job security, I would say. Literally, you've got it all, and your parents have set it up for you. But he did not have purpose. That's what he was lacking. And somehow his parents understood that and they let him go in order to pursue the better thing, the bigger thing of life, even better than a job, even better than safety, security, money, wealth, all that purpose, a sense of purpose that would drive him. And so Elisha goes with Elijah. So what I want to do is I want to look at, there's a couple things in the next verse, verse 21, there's a couple things that Elisha does to take hold of his purpose his parents let him go, and he does a couple things here. These are faith moves that Elisha makes. We talk about our, the five zeros that make up our vision. One of them is zero unfulfilled callings. We have this idea that every single person has something, a contribution, a uniqueness, a calling on their life in the kingdom of God. So what, is, what does it mean to actually step out and take hold of your purpose? What does that look like? couple things that Elisha does here in this story. So I want to read the verse to you and then we'll we'll look at those. Um, This is verse 21. This is the very next verse. So Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. Can you say overkill? Uh, He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So he goes and kisses his father and mother goodbye. And then I just really want to highlight and emphasize what he does here in this moment. I would just say it this way. He sets his past on fire. He doesn't just walk away from the plow. He doesn't just walk away from the oxen and the family land. He sets it on fire. He literally slaughters the oxen he chops up the wood from the plow and builds a big fire, roasts the flesh, and then gives the meat to all the townspeople. They have a big barbecue. They have a big community picnic. And once all that is done, then he leaves. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you go to that extent to destroy everything? Here's what I want you to see in this moment. This is not a turn from wrong to right. It's not like Elisha was sinning or, or the plow or the oxen represented some bad, evil sin in his life. It wasn't a turn from wrong to right. It was a turn from his past to his future. It was a turn from everything that had been there to everything where he was going. I think Elisha understood in this moment, the burden I'm taking on to follow Elijah as a prophet is going to be so intense. It's going to be so heavy. It's going to demand so much of me. I've got to make sure I have nothing to go back to. I've got to make sure I'm not hanging on to something back here, because it's going to be so easy if I do to just go back to where it's safe. We talked in the first week about what a faith step is, and we said a lot of times the way we choose to make faith steps in our life with God is, is we do like this. We keep all our weight on our back leg. Remember this? And we just kind of, okay, God, I'm taking a faith step. Here it is. I took a faith step. And that's, that's not a faith step when we keep all our, our weight on our back leg, and we don't. A faith step is I put all my weight on the leg in the direction that I'm going and, the, and the, the way that God is leading and the momentum. I put all my weight on that. I leave nothing, no weight on the back leg. That's a faith step. It's a burn the ships moment. If you're familiar, Cortez, when he, when he invaded, he actually had his men burn the ships on the shore so they had nothing to retreat back to. They had to go forward. That's what this is. He burns his past. He, he sets it on fire not because it was bad or because it was wrong, but because it was comfortable. We all want more for our lives. Some of you in this room, even this morning, you've, you've got a great life. You're in a first world country, you know. Your needs are met. Sure, maybe there's some things you wish were different. Most of us in this room, we have a job. We're, we're living in the midst of a thriving economy. There's things that are going well. Even you, You're not wondering where your next meal is coming from. It's actually coming out there at 1230. <laughs> That's, you literally are wondering where it's coming from. It's there for you uh, just to take a hold of. You have a job. You have security. You have safety. But for some of us, there's something nagging. There's something that just feels off-center. There's something that, that, that keeps you uh, from feeling totally um, satisfied. Your, your life is lacking purpose. You're missing a sense of purpose. We all want more for our lives. Many of us, we have this sense, there's, there's more that God wants me to do. There's more he wants from me. But the thing about us is we want the more where we are right now. We don't want to go where the more is waiting for us. We just want to have it right here. We want to experience it right now. We don't want to actually take the steps, set our past on fire, and move forward into what God wants for us. So I want you to consider this morning, if you're, if you're struggling with your purpose, what do you need to set on fire? Maybe it's a pattern, maybe it's a behavior, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's nothing sinful or bad, but it's something that has always been, a pattern of behavior, a series of choices you always make. And so instead of fully stepping out into what God has for you, it's always like, yeah, but I, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to have my plan B right here just in case it doesn't work out. What is God calling you to set on fire to step into what he has for you? I love this. Luke tells, the Gospel of Luke, uh, tells uh, that Jesus has this series of encounters with people in Luke chapter 9 as he walks along calling people to be his disciples. In uh, Luke nine sixty one, he says, "'Follow me to one man,' and the man says, "'First let me go say goodbye to my family.'" And Jesus responds with, "'No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back "'is fit for service in the kingdom.'" And what many people believe is in this moment, Jesus is actually referencing Elisha. He's referencing this story we're looking at this morning. He's saying anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back like they're not, they're they're kind of have their plan B, they're waiting, on, said they're not fit for service in the kingdom. You've got to set your past on fire and move forward. You see this again and again in the life of Jesus and the calling of the disciples. The disciples he calls, they're fishermen. They have jobs. They have a good good life. Uh, Levi, the tax collector who eventually becomes Matthew, he has a good job, a, a lucrative job as a tax collector. And they leave it all behind. They drop their nets. They walk away from the, the tax collecting booth to follow Jesus for purpose. They had a job, but they didn't have a sense of purpose. And that's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for each one of us. Last week, if you are here, we talked about the power of staying. We talked about the power of what it means to stay committed through the long run, Lo- what God can accomplish in our lives with, when it comes to longevity. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments. Even if you're staying for the long run, you're being faithful through a season, that doesn't mean there aren't moments where you set your past on fire and you step out into something new. You, you try something new. You step out of the behavior patterns that you've been stuck in. Uh, staying for a long time doesn't mean you just stay in your comfort zone. Even if you're staying where you are, There are moments where we still have to step forward and we have to leave our comfort zone in order to step into the more that God has for us. You see this again and again in scripture. Abraham had to leave Ur to go to the land that God showed him. Israel had to leave Egypt in order to go into that same land that God had been preparing for them. They couldn't just keep looking back. So he sets his past on fire is the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he makes his future about a burden. He sets his past on fire and then he makes his future about a burden. Um, Verse 21 says that uh, Elisha leaves to go be Elijah's assistant. Now keep in mind, again, he comes from this great family where he's on top. He's the heir apparent. He has the life everybody wishes they could have in Israel at this time. There are 12 teams of oxen, get it? I mean, he's like the ultimate Israelite. He leaves to go to the bottom of the ladder. He leaves to start all over again to actually be Elijah's assistant, to come alongside him and be willing to be mentored, be willing to be taught, be willing to experience this. And and so he's taking on this burden of his master. Even by putting the mantle around his shoulders, Elijah is saying, you're going to follow me and there's going to be a burden to it. It's the same burden for God's people that drove Elijah to, by himself on Mount Carmel, confront the 450 prophets of Baal. It's terrifying. It's the same burden that led Elijah in the next moment to Mount Sinai in despair. Remember what he said on Mount Sinai if you were here last week? Like, I'm the only one left. All God's people have torn down your altars. They've you know, abandoned you. I'm the only one left. And God says, no, you're not the only one left. But that's what, what's happening. Elijah is carrying this burden. He's carrying this burden for God's people. Elisha leaves to go carry this exact same burden. I love what Andy Stanley said. About purpose, he said, "We won't find our purpose until we are willing to be a means to an end." I think that's so true. Oftentimes, we think of ourselves as the end. What What do I have? What does God given me? What's my special contribution or calling? And really, a calling is never about a what; it's always about a who. It's always about us willing to be a means to an end. Being a prophet meant being called to deliver God's message to the people of Israel. A calling is about a who. It's about who you're burdened for. That's where a calling begins in our lives. You may or may not know this. There's been quite a bit of uh, studies done recently that suicide rates are the highest they have ever been in America among students, young people. Uh, We are hitting a, a time in our nation's history where suicide rates are at their highest And people are trying to figure this out because we also live in a time where we would apparently think, man, students have more and have access to more and have more opportunity than they've ever had. What I'm coming to realize as I look at my own children, as I look at the generation that is growing up around us right now, um, and maybe you're a part of that generation, Maybe you're a student or a single person, and what, what I'm coming to realize is that what our students, what our, our this generation growing up needs right now, is not something to help them sleep better at night, but it's something to keep them up, something to light them on fire, something to literally make them ask tough questions about what and who they are giving their one and only life to. What we need is not better job opportunities. In a better economy, we need purpose. We need a burden. We need, we need something that actually calls out the best in us, and, and causes us to, to rise to the occasion, because that's what God called us to be. That's who He called us to be, as His people. And, and that's, the, that's the thing. If you write off having a burden, you also write off having purpose. If you say, well, I don't want my kids to have a burden, or you say, man, I don't want a burden, I just want, I, want, I just want to go where the next kind of convenient opportunity is, I want to take a face step but leave all my weight on the back leg, you also, in that process, you forfeit ever having a sense of purpose. You forfeit having a sense of passion and fire that will drive you, and burdens lead to purpose, and purpose leads to the best kind of life. Purpose actually leads to the best kind of life, not comfort and convenience, And so um, John and I continued to have our camping trip. And so as we were cooking our our dinner, as we ate our dinner as the night went on and we were spending time together, we just began to talk about what happened. And as we began to discuss and talk about this whole incident with with the police coming and all this stuff that he'd seen, what I began to realize in that moment was, my son didn't really need me to comfort him. He didn't really need me to make him feel safe and secure. Maybe what he really needed was for me to throw a mantle around his shoulders. And so as we just began to talk about the things that lit his heart on fire, that trip, that camping trip, led to John and I deciding to take another trip together. So it's a bit of a face step in my life and in my family right now. This coming Friday, uh, John and I are going to be getting on a plane with some other folks here from Frontline. We're going to be flying to Ethiopia. Together, And we're going to be going to Ukro, Ethiopia, which is where we have our care point as a church. You may or may not know this. We have this partnership with Children's Hope Chest. And so there's a community there that we have partnered with, that we have linked ourselves with. Many of you sponsor children. And so we're actually going to go around. We're going to see these, uh, these kids that we sponsor. And we're going to come back with, a, with some, some new names, some new children that need to be sponsored. And uh, we're going to see this water point. That you, that you helped to build. You may remember a couple Christmases ago, you gave and um, empowered people to build this water point. It's functioning and we're gonna get to go see it. The average person in the developing world walks three miles a day to get water. There is water, a water point in this, uh, in this community. And we're gonna get to see that and we're gonna get to experience that and we're gonna get to spend time with people in their homes and experience it. So here, I would appreciate your prayers and here's what I'm asking you to pray for yes please pray for safety please pray for health and protection traveling mercies i always want those please keep the traveling mercies coming (laughs) but all joking aside the thing i would love for you to pray for in addition to those things would you pray for my 10 year old son john that god would give him a burden not something to help him sleep better at night Something to keep him awake. Something to, to light him on fire and help him realize that there is something he is called to do. Burdens lead to the best kind of life. Our job is not to protect our kids from burdens. Our job is to help them to realize. We sang about it earlier in that song on the table. Jesus invites us. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why is his burden light? It's still a burden, but why is his burden light? because he's the one who carries it with us. Jesus doesn't say, come on and follow me. It's gonna be a nice, lazy, easy chair for you to sit back and relax in. He says, no, throws a mantle around our shoulders. Jesus does the same thing to the disciples. He does the same thing to us today. He comes for us, he ransoms us, he he redeems us and he calls us. Throws a mantle around our shoulders. He said, even better than, than all these things you get to have, there's purpose for you. There's purpose for you, but you've got to be willing to set your past on fire and you've got to be willing to make your future about the burden I want to give you in your life. His burden is not heavy. It's not about guilt. It's not about condemnation. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in your life and use you to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so we have these, uh, we have these um, empty chairs up here on stage that we've been kind of stumbling around all morning. Maybe you've been wondering why these are up here. And so these, these different chairs, they're empty chairs that represent different people in our world. And so um, I wonder for you, I wonder if there's somebody who sits at a table like this. This looks like to me like a dining room table. Maybe there's some people in your life who, uh, this season of life, God wants to give you a burden for somebody in your family. Somebody who's far from God. Part One of the zeros is zero lost people. We're not done until we see zero lost people. Maybe there's somebody in this season of life, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and God has given you a burden for your children and he's called you for this season. Don't ever apologize for that. Don't ever shy away from that. It's the highest calling. Maybe somebody in your family, maybe this is like an office chair to me. Um, Maybe it's somebody at your work. Maybe it's somebody who's near you that God would just begin to give you a burden for them that they aren't welcomed home into the family of God yet. So maybe God wants to give you a burden for them and just begin to to pour into your life a compassion for them. Not guilt and condemnation, but just begin to pray for them, begin to look for opportunities to just be encouragement, to be a light to them, to to begin to tell your story and to to proclaim the gospel. Maybe for some of you, uh, this is one of our chairs that you're sitting in here. Maybe somebody who, maybe God wants to give some of you in this place a burden for somebody who was a part of this church at one time and you haven't seen them in a while. Something happened, a tragedy, a life event, but they've disappeared. And maybe God would just say, I wanna give you a burden for that person. They're yours for the next season. Go after them. Not, Not condemnation or guilt, but go after them in love. Maybe it's somebody, this chair looks like the kind that we set out at our kids' like soccer games and stuff, like a camp chair. Maybe it's somebody at the, at the soccer field, the ball field with you. A parent, and you guys cheer for your kids together. Maybe God would just begin to give you a burden for them and for their family, and for what he wants to do through you in that. All that, the point is this. Don't ask what. The key to finding purpose and the key to finding what God's called you to do is not a what. What have you given me, God? What do you want me to do? What special gifts do I have? That's not it. That's not the key. The the key is who? Ask who? Who? Is there someone you've given up on? Is there someone? The language we've used is one life so many times here at Frontline. Who is your one life? Who is that person? that God would begin to speak to you about. I, you have a burden for them during this time. I'm telling you, his burden is light because he wants to work through you to see them come. We have people in our church uh, who have a burden for the people of Haiti. We have people in our church who have a burden for people in their school. We have with people in our church who God has just given a unique burden for special needs families or for deaf, uh, the deaf community. And, we, we just have, and when you see people stepping into that, that's when you see the church really begin to move and to step into what God has for it. So here's what I'd love to do. I'd love for you to stand and we're gonna sing a little bit together. And as we're singing, I'm gonna offer a prayer. And I'm just gonna ask that God would begin to speak to you about a who in this room. And uh, when we're done singing, we're gonna do something special together. Um, But uh, let me just offer a prayer for us. God, even as we sing these words right now, I pray, Lord, that you would just begin to speak to every one of us in this room on this Welcome Home Sunday about who it is that needs to be welcomed home in our church, in our midst, in our community, in our world, would you just begin to speak to each person about who? And I think about some of what our job is as the church is to advocate for those who are not yet at the table. And so we do that. God, we just pray for mothers, sisters, brothers, children, employees, friends, coworkers, who don't yet know you and who desperately need to be connected to your church and to their, the purpose that you have for their lives. Would you just make our purpose your purpose, what you wanna do and what you've called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.